Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Going to Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Yeah, so not, not the best uh, way to start the season out, but nonetheless, still here, still going to talk about it. So Miami started out with a four-game homestand, of which they went one of three, um, and was pretty much the exact opposite of what I thought last week. I thought we'd go three and one. I picked three games for us to win, one for us to lose, and it was the exact opposite. All the games I thought we'd win, we'd lose, and the one game I thought we'd lose, we win. So, yeah, I'm just batting a thousand to start this season. Let's just keep swinging, though. But to go through real quick just a bit of what happened over the last week, uh, the big thing that stood out to me over those first four games was Miami just constantly giving up large second-half runs in every single game. Granted, a little bit under different circumstances per game, but nonetheless, just the consistency of blowing the second half just kept standing out. So what I mean by that, just to go into some more specifics, uh, so like we start our first game against Chicago last Wednesday. That was a game that Miami pretty much let DeMar DeRozan get cooking. Uh, DeRozan finished with 37 points on 14 of 22 from the field and 7-11 from the line, mainly picking his spots, getting pump fakes, and getting defenders to bite on those pump fakes to get him to the line. Uh, most of the time, like, still finishing the shot even after drawing contact with the defender. So that's like a double whammy, right? You do all this effort to try to at least block or alter the shot and maybe force him to do two free throws. And nah, DeRozan just nails it instead, and he gets an and one. Now it's a three-point play, and you're kind of just getting clowned on. But yeah, the, the again, like the big thing there was just letting DeRozan get to his spots throughout the game. And then by the time the fourth quarter came around, like the third quarter, he was primarily powering that run in the third quarter, so he got the bulk of his points as well. So by the time we get to the fourth quarter, and the Heat were actually trying to defend him and keep him from the spots. Well, it's too late. The dude's already cooking. He's already got a rhythm going. We we see this constantly with the best scores in the NBA. If you let them get going and then try to turn on the defense, it doesn't work because they've already got the rhythm going and they're just going to nail tough shots instead, which is what DeRozan did in the fourth quarter towards what was eventually a Miami Heat loss. Oh, and the other concern um, in that game as well, Bam Adebayo going 1 of 10 in the first half. On the good part... Good that he showed the aggression to take the 10 field goal attempts. On the other part, it looked like one of those nights that just didn't have the touch going, couldn't quite find the range. A lot of those shots were ones we have seen in years past that he makes with ease. Tonight looked like an off night. Uh, well, <laughs> a very off night to go 1 of 10 in the first half. And I just really wanted to highlight that because the Heat were tied with the Bulls at the time before, you know, we got again, got into the third quarter, DeRozan gets going into the fourth, and that ends up being a loss. But just to say that if we had had a not-off night from Bam, we have a lead going into the half at least, and then maybe we can mitigate some of that going into the second half as well uh, to eventually hopefully pull out a win instead of what was an opening night loss. And then the last thing I'm just concerned from that Chicago game real quick was just the way that in the second and third quarters, Jimmy Butler started to bulldoze his way through the line. Which isn't anything too unusual, but this the unusual part to me was that it was happening in the very first game, and within the context of what was going on, it felt like it felt like we were already going to the breaking case of emergency, let Jimmy bulldoze his way to the line, but we were doing that in the first game of the season. Not a great look. 
So, yeah, opening round against Chicago, not as much fun. Uh, would continue to not be very much fun the following Friday against the Celtics. And a game that just, they could not stop Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which, to be fair, that's one of, if not the best wing duo in the league, maybe like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George if you want to have those conversations. But point there being, though, Tatum and Brown are hard to stop to begin with, but just extra hard to stop uh, this time around. You know, I think it was what, Jalen had 28 points and Jason had 27, something like that. It was over 50 between the two of them, which was the main point. And like with DeRozan, a lot of that damage came in like the third quarter and then into the fourth quarter as well. I mean, the Celtics getting going on a really t- long run in the third quarter, pretty much blow it out. And then the fourth quarter was just about the Heat trying to inch their way back, but never really quite getting there. Uh, other thing that stood out from the Celtics game, just Bam Adebayo being in foul trouble for most of the game, had four fouls early into the third quarter. And what that caused from the sense of, like, Bam has to obviously sit, and then you got to go to Deadman. So you go to look at Bam, for example. Bam was plus 20 on the night, whereas Deadman in only nine minutes was minus 18. So just the, the literal drop-off of Bam's in foul trouble, we can't play him, well, got to put out a backup center somewhere. That's supposed to be Deadman. Let's put Deadman out there. And just those Deadman minutes was when that run happened and the Heat, just their, any semblance of winning that game collapsed, unfortunately, with the Deadman minutes. For the Heat, though, they wouldn't get too much time to mourn the loss to the Celtics. So they had to turn around the very next night and play the Toronto Raptors, who, again, I will say, no fun to play the Raptors on the second out of a back-to-back they play a pretty short rotation, heavy minutes, and they just run up and down on you and try to wear you down. And they, like the Heat, they do not give up until it is extremely clear with like a minute left and a 20-point lead that this game's not going to be won. So, for, but point in case right here, Miami had a 21-point lead on Toronto going into halftime. A 21-point lead! And that was still not safe. Toronto came out blew that lead in the third quarter. The main impetus for what uh, kind of galvanized the Raptors team and helped power that run was a scuffle that happened between Caleb Martin and one of the Toronto Raptors players where both of those players ended up getting ejected from the game because of the scuffle. Uh, but that is also one of those things where, like, it takes you out of the flow of the game, lets you kind of reset, and the Raptors took advantage of that reset to power a run through the third quarter through the fourth quarter, and what eventually became a pretty close win for Miami, which, again, like I mentioned not too long ago, we started the second half with a 21-point lead, and we barely won the game. That's a massive, massive red flag right there. And, and again, it goes to that pattern of giving up large runs in the second half. In the Chicago and the Celtics, that difference was we were hanging with them to we were losing and in this Toronto game, the difference was we were blowing them out to, oh, please, we were hanging on for dear life to get this win. And then lastly, to close out the week, we had our game against the Raptors last night, where though the Heat were down to the Raptors going into the halftime, to their credit, they came out in the third quarter and outscored Toronto by 10 to take a five-point lead going to the fourth quarter. So, you know, I, all right, maybe we're actually starting to buck the trend for once. 
No. <laughs> I did specify that those runs are happening in the second half for a reason because this game, that second half run, came in the fourth quarter. Miami's offense completely collapsed. And the most egregious things that stood out in the fourth quarter for, for what was event, what eventually became a Raptors comeback win, uh, comeback I guess defined because they were down going to the fourth quarter, but what eventually defined that win uh, and what defined Miami's offensive problems was A, Tyler Hero, unfortunately, he's been great, and we'll talk a little bit about, about that in a little bit, but in that Raptors game, four turnovers in the fourth quarter, a lot of just like too much dribbling, you know, too much doing it by himself kind of stuff. And the other part, Jimmy Butler, for some reason, did not play a minute of the fourth quarter until there was like three or four minutes left. The Raptors had already come back and taken the lead, and the game was kind of out of grasp at that point. So, I mean, it, what was also puzzling was Jimmy Butler sitting at the scorer's table for like two or three in-game minutes worth of time while they're essentially waiting for a foul to actually get him into the game. Usually, in those circumstances, if it takes too long, maybe you'll have, like, whatever player is going to be subbing out for Jimmy will commit a foul because that player's about to go to the bench for the rest of the game, so it doesn't really matter if they pick up an extra foul. It's more important you get Jimmy Butler in there sooner than later. That didn't end up happening, and I felt that that was one of the reasons why, like, it compounded with Tyler's turnover problems, where if you have Jimmy out there, maybe Jimmy's handling the ball instead, Tyler doesn't have those turnovers. However, Jimmy wasn't, Tyler was, so Tyler has to be the ball handler, and it resulted in a bunch of turnovers that the Raptors took advantage of. And even Spo after the game, admitted that he probably should have done something to get Jimmy in there sooner than later, Good to know at the end, I guess. Uh, you know, it feels a little better at least when it's like same page as Spo, and he's not like, no, 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 no. There's some crazy idea I had that we were gonna try out. But no, like again, like we're at the point that even Spo's like, you know what? That was a mistake. It was a mistake that cost you a game, and it's a mistake that puts you in a one-three hole to start up the season. Like we're, it already feels like our margin of error and the room we have for mistakes is getting really thin really fast. So yeah, <laughs> that was Miami's opening week to the season. Fun place to start. With that all said though, um, I didn't want to focus a little bit on just like how Miami is struggling out the gate or just a way to encapsulate how much they're struggling out the gate. So for example, uh, when you look at offensive and defensive rating right now, it's not good. Miami currently 27th out of 30 teams in offensive rating, 18th in defensive rating. So I guess at least our defense is a little bit better. But, I mean, last year we were top five defensive rating. Now we're 18th to start out. So, like, very clearly got a long way to go just with the defensive part, not even including the offense. Like, 27th, ugh. That, no garbage. Um, but, yeah, but because of those two, we're also 22nd in net rating. Uh, <laughs> it's just not, not great. I mean, to our credit, we did have three playoff teams, right? Chicago was a playoff team last year, Celtics and Raptors. They were all top six finishes last year. And in the pod I did last week, I still put the Celtics as a playoff team and the Bulls and the Raptors at the very least as play-in level teams. So, like, this was not easy competition. The problem is, is there's not really easy competition in the East to begin with. So, it's not going to get too much easier than this 
but I will give them the benefit of the doubt. They had a tough slate to start at the beginning of the week. However, I will then immediately backtrack because they also had a home court advantage throughout the entire week. They had no travel. They didn't have to travel. They weren't they weren't this Raptors team coming in to Miami on Saturday and then hanging around to the following Monday. Like the Heat were home the entire time. That is a massive advantage. At the very least, it should have been better than one and three. Give me two and two. Obviously, I wanted three and one, but at the very least, it should have been two and two. And then we're having a, a slightly different conversation right here. It doesn't feel so doom and gloom to start the season. But the big thing that stood out from the first week, and I think this goes a lot towards the offensive and defense and rating problems, is just the way that this team is both shooting threes and defending threes. And by that, I mean, like, again, you look at the strengths of this team last year, because, again, this is primarily the same roster outside of not having P.J. Tucker and, and Jovic in there instead. But one of the strengths of the roster last year being number one in the league at three-point percentage and then being, like, middle to upper middle in terms of three-point attempts. So, like, our volume was middle to upper middle of the pack, and then we were just so good that it didn't matter that our volume was so little because we were just nailing all the shots that we were taking. This year, for the, at least for the first week, not so much. 25th in three-point attempts. That is very bad for me. Like, just being in the bottom, what, six of the league in just a ta- taking threes. Like, just no. Um, and then 21st in three-point percentage. So, yeah, even of the ones you're taking, you're not shooting very well. And that's just going to contribute to bad spacing. Not taking enough threes and not hitting them means for the defense, hey, I'm going to crowd the paint. I'm going to keep Bam Adebayo. I'm going to keep Jimmy Butler away from the rim as much as possible because there's not you're not hurting me with the three-point shooting, so I don't have to. And that's what defenses are essentially doing. They're collapsing on Bam and not letting him drive to the rim. They're collapsing on Jimmy and either forcing him into extremely difficult shots or kickouts to players like Lowry and Struess and to a degree Vincent that are just struggling to shoot the three. Tyler, well... Tyler was doing well until last night's game shooting the three. But, like, in general, this Heat team is not shooting that well, and it's confounding because this is a team that does have a lot of shooters, right? Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry. I named, I named you five shooters right there that should at least be league average, if not above league average, and we're not getting any of that from any of them right now. So we are in a three-point shooting league. You're not shooting the three very well. Your offense is going to suck. And then conversely, if you let your opponent shoot threes very well, your defense is going to suck. So on the defensive side of the ball, uh, uh, Miami's opponent shooting, they are le- they are the 20th in three-point attempts, meaning that, like, so, like, in this context, first would mean you are the team that limits your opponents to the fewest three-point attempts in a game. So 20th means that we are giving up almost, pretty much the bottom third and letting our opponents take threes. And then we are 23rd in opponent three-point percentage. So it's pretty much the exact opposite problem we have with our offense, right? We are not taking enough threes. We are not hitting them at a good enough rate. We are letting our opponents take a lot of threes and letting our opponents hit them at an extremely good rate. And then we sit there and wonder, huh, why is our offensive and defensive rating so bad? Well, look at how our offense is shooting threes and how we're letting our opponents shoot threes. But outside of the three-point shooting as well, one thing that has stood out from the first week, we have a backup five problem. 
Dwayne Dedman, all the credit, has done a phenomenal job over the last two years, though it has started to taper off, especially when we got to the playoffs last year. But to start out this season, Dedman just has not been good. Uh, total just for plus minus, he's been a minus seven so far. I highlighted that game against the Celtics earlier where he did minus 18 in like nine minutes. It's like minus two a minute. That's just really bad. <laughs> I can't really phrase it much better than that. Um, you look at his box plus minus where like you get into some more specific, uh, some more advanced statistics of it. And still negative on both ends. Big negative on the offensive end. Solid negative on the defensive end which was not the trend in previous years where he was like that really solid, clear-cut backup five that we had. He's not rebounding well. He's not scoring well. And the very little bit that we expected from Deadman was rebound the hell of the ball, have energy, and be able to provide some buckets while Bam's on the bench. So he's not doing any of that. And like it's very, very quickly approaching the point of all right, what has Devin actually doing that's positive for us? Which, again, years past, we could point to, hey, Duke comes out high motor. He runs the rim hard. He rebounds the hell out of the ball. We're not getting any of that. So, and thus we get to, again, like what happened in that Celtics game, right? Bam plus 20, Deadman minus 18. And, again, like that disparity alone could have swung the game for Miami last Friday. And, we were, again, we were already at the point all of these little small margin things need to start going Miami's way because this this East is not going to get any better anytime soon. So what does that mean for our backup five? Well, for me, so, so, right. So we look at the other options, right? Your seven and 40 has had an ankle injury. That's lasted. It looks to be several weeks now. Um, it could have gone maybe with Jovic, but so real quick, the, the scuffle that Caleb Martin had on Saturday, the, eventually resulted in him getting suspended for the Monday game. What was weird about it was is that the person that was fighting with him that also helped to instigate the incident a little bit, uh, I cannot remember the player's name, unfortunately, for the Raptors, uh, but I do know that that player was not suspended on Monday and was able to play. I don't agree with that, but then again, the league going out of its way to kind of screw over Miami, well, wouldn't be the first time it's happened. So yeah, but point there being, though, is that player got to play on Monday, and then the other point that I was trying to get to was uh, Nikola Jovic, came off during that scuffle on Saturday, Jovic came off the bench to try to help break up the situation. And as the NBA is concerned, that's a big no-no. You don't leave the bench. Jovic, being a rookie, doesn't didn't quite realize that. And because he left the bench, he was also suspended for that game on Monday. So I bring that up in that situation because that means Jovic and Yurt were not available uh, as backup fives on Monday, hence we still had to go with Deadman. And that's got me wondering now if going forward, if Yurt's not healthy, Maybe you try your small ball, Jovic at the five lineup. Like, it, it, I really doubt it could be too much worse than minus 18 in nine minutes. And at the very least, like, Jovic has some size and a little bit more youth. Maybe you can grab a rebound or two. That's, again, that's more than what Deadman's doing for us at the moment. But ideally, I think this might be about the time that we need to pivot away from Deadman into Yurt. I mean, there was good reason why Dwayne Deadman was signed to what was widely considered like a pretty tradable contract. Uh, it does go for two years, and it's like, I think, $4.5 million per year. But the point there was is that it's, it's just the right size to be used in trade conversations. And I think those kinds of conversations are going to be happening sooner than later now. 
because it's looking like Miami's going to need to pivot uh, to like a Yurt or Jovich and more towards Deadman getting him to the trade block. So yeah, problem with the backup five at the moment. Um, other thing that's kind of starting to pop up over the last week, Miami just looking really small out there. I mean, they're they had lineups at times where they're doing Gabe Vincent and Kyle Lowry on the oh and Tyler Hero on the court at the same time. Like that is just uh, you're playing Tyler Hero at the three when he's probably at best a two in terms of just like size. So that's going to be small. And then Vincent or Lowry on their owns are ones. So you're playing one of them at the two. It, you, you see what I'm saying, right? Like you have an undersized two and an undersized three in those kinds of lineups. But just like even in general, so like even when you have your regular starting lineup and you have Caleb Martin at the four, you're still really small up front. And I think it's starting to show up on the boards. So like Miami is a solid 10th right now in defensive rebounding, but they're 25th in offensive rebounding. And I think that, again, you look at, like, what the Raptors were doing uh, Saturday and then last night, it was pretty much just like, hey, we're bigger, taller, longer than you, so we're all just going to crowd the basket. None of you are going to get offensive rebounds. And that then allows the Raptors to immediately kick out onto fast breaks and try to get easy points. And I, I think that's where we're having a little bit of, like, offense feeding into defense problems, where if you don't get a good offensive possession, get a bad look, you're not getting the offensive rebound because you don't have the size. Well, now the opponent's team is getting to get out on a fast break and like try to shove it down your throat before you can get your defense set. Because I do think teams still respect Miami's half-court defense enough that they're going to try to push it in transition before that defense again gets set up. And this is something that we see both in Miami giving up a fair amount of fast break points and also giving up a fair amount of second chance points. Because also, if you have that size advantage, it's a little bit easier to get offensive rebounds. Yeah, like the Chicago game, for example, uh, Nikola Vucevic, I think he had like five or six offensive rebounds. Again, just because he still has a size advantage, even over somebody like a Bam Adebayo, who Bam's a a little bit undersized for a more traditional center. So teams are starting to exploit those specific things. There's not really much Miami can do about it because they're already a small team. You can't just grow overnight uh but that's where i point to like maybe we need to try Jovich or yurt instead of like deadman or maybe we need to try some bam at the four yurt or Jovich at the five lineups to just get some more size out there uh, against some of these teams that are just trying to win by controlling the boards against miami so that's that. Um, yeah, a lot of, lot of negatives that, that I have down here from the first week. So I did want to finish with a positive. So for good news, Tyler Hero has looked freaking great. Like seriously. Um, he is still being targeted on defense, but he's put in the work over the offseason. His body does look better. And sure, he's, he's still getting beat sometimes, but he's doing more of holding his own than he is being the liability that he was last year. And again, that's just all we were really asking, right? The, the thought that he could be a great defender just seems unrealistic. Good seems a little unrealistic. Just be neutral. Be a neutral defender and then be so good on the offensive end, which he has been. Like Aside from the last night's game where his three-point shot wasn't very well, He's been shooting the three ball well. He's been getting to the rim well. He's been able to get to the line a little bit. He's been showing some great skill while he gets there. Like some of the finishing, like 
you see it, and for anybody that's, that's played, even the little bit that I've played, I can watch and be like, that's a really hard shot to make. That's a really tough finish. But Hero's making those tough finishes look easy, which is the sign of a really great score when it looks effortless to them. So yeah, defense, he looks improved. He looks like he can handle being the target uh, of like, you know, starter level offensive players. We'll see how long that lasts throughout the season. Hopefully lasts quite a bit. And then on the offensive end, Tyler Hero looks like a starting level scorer. Like maybe even something a little bit more. Like he's he's pretty comfortably getting, tw- you know, being a 20 plus per game scorer throughout this first week even though he's now doing this against starters instead of mainly bench like he was doing last year. If there was, like, one legitimate criticism I can think of for Tyler Hero, it would maybe be pacing. Uh, and I still say maybe because I'm, I'm not quite sure if this is so much a pacing problem with Tyler as much as it is uh, an adjustment problem by teams. But in general, we are seeing Tyler get off to really hot starts and then not-so-hot second halves. I, I say again, I go back to right. Could it be pacing where he's not pacing himself throughout the entire game and putting more energy in the first half? Maybe it's also the fact that he's still being targeted primarily on defense by other teams that could be wearing him down. Or maybe it's adjustments teams are making at halftime to help limit what he's doing in the second half. I I lean a little bit more towards the pacing part just because Miami's offense has felt very clunky going through games. The kind of thing where, like, you see Jimmy bulldozing his way to the line a lot because that's just what he knows for generating offense. Or you have Tyler Hero with, like, really fancy drives or fancy pull-ups that take a good amount of energy but are also more efficient offense to try to keep them afloat. So if Hero is having to expend all that energy, you know, again, on the defensive end being targeted and then on the offensive end to try to keep them afloat, Makes sense why we get to the fourth quarter of a game last night and he has four turnovers in the fourth quarter because he's exhausted. That we'll have to see. We just need a bigger sample size for that. But the early first week of the Tyler Hero as a starter experience, that has been one of the few bright spots throughout this rough start to the season for the Miami Heat. Okay, that was my one positive amongst a lot of negative uh, storylines coming out of the first week. Now, just wanted to look ahead real quick just to see what the next week is going to look like for Miami, hopefully a little bit better. So, after finished, after having their first four games at home, the Heat will be on the road for the next week, specifically on a small western road trip. Well, they will take on the Trailblazers Wednesday, the defending champions Golden State Warriors on Thursday. That's a fun back-to-back and then the uh, Sacramento Kings on Saturday. So real quick, Trailblazers, actually to my surprise, I didn't realize this until I was uh, doing the prep for the show, but one of the two undefeated teams left in the league, the only other undefeated team, the Milwaukee Bucks, who for some reason have only played two games. So the Trailblazers, 4-0. and Like, that's legitimately impressive for them. Um, we have them on Wednesday. Then the big thing for me is just going to be defending the backcourt of Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard. That's just a really high-scoring backcourt that likes to take a lot of threes. And uh, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, Miami has a problem with letting opponents, you know, kill them from three. So interesting to see how they're going to deal with that. I do think the Blazers are on a, on a little bit of a hot streak to start the season. Like, they're, 
I think I didn't do this for the West uh, for good reason, but off the top of my head, I would imagine Portland would be something along the lines of like play in, maybe low playoff level. So this should taper off. Maybe we can help start taper them off. But just to say that like Portland feels like a team that's hitting a little bit above its weight right now. So that could still be an opportunity for Miami to come in and take that game on Wednesday. I don't think it's going to be a, a big win if it does happen. I mean, the the again, the consistent trend here is if you got some offense and you can get it going in the second half, you got a good chance uh, at beating Miami. Um, and then I just wonder about the Heat's ability to hold down that backcourt. But yeah, after Trailblazers get a fun back-to-back with the defending champion Warriors on Thursday... They're still looking great to start out the season, even after the the Green Pool incident, which, for those that don't know real quick, Jordan Pool, as is understandable for a 23-year-old coming off a championship and in line for a big payday, ran his mouth a little bit too much and pushed Draymond Green, resulting in Draymond Green just sucker-punching him in the face. Um, my understanding is that Green is still suspended, but you know that doesn't really stop the Warriors because they're still going to keep running anyway. It's mark of a great organization. And it's also the mark of how nice it is to have a backcourt of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, oh, and still Jordan Poole as well, along with Andrew Wiggins and, and, and. Like, the Warriors pay out the ass for their roster, but they do have a really damn great roster. Uh, like, again, second out of a back-to-back after that Trailblazers game, I, I'm not optimistic about Miami's chances in this one. The Warriors do typically play them pretty well in addition to that. So I would just say buckle up for the Thursday game because that one could get ugly. Uh, lean more towards the Wednesday game uh, uh, between the two. Like if you're going to, which one do you think Miami has a better chance of winning? Definitely Trailblazers over the Warriors. And then to finish things off, the Kings on Saturday. So the Kings, however, being the Kings, uh, have not won a game yet so far this year. Uh, but they do want to try to at least make the play-in tournament. So they're going to be fighting for that all year long. Um, we've we've kind of seen this with Kings in the years past, where even when it seems pretty clear that they should be tanking, they're not going to tank anyway just because they're, they're so laser-focused on trying to make the playoffs to, to stimulate something in their fan base. The interesting thing for me for this Kings game on Saturday is the matchup between uh, Bam Adebayo and DeMontis Sabonis, who got traded to the Kings at the trade deadline uh, last February. I just think that's an interesting matchup for Bam and one that can really highlight his, which has still been a really good defensive player, like defensive player of the year level player from Bam. He can highlight that against a player like Sabonis, who's kind of this like offensive fulcrum type center. And then on the other end, Sabonis is not a very great defender himself. So this would be a great opportunity for Bam to try to get his offense going again. But overall though, this this is a good Kings team, but of the three that are available next week, the Kings definitely look the most vulnerable. I, w- I would like a two-in-one week with wins over the Trailblazers and Kings, but I could definitely just see us taking that Kings game and it being one and two for us to be um, two and five when it comes to our episode next Tuesday. I do feel a little doom and gloomy right now, but like to, to take a step back and just look at this as a whole... This is the first week of the season. Seasons will run until the beginning of April. There is so much time. There are so many games left to play. There is still so much room for this Heat team 
to get better and get back on track and push again towards that top four finish that I think that they can get to. But for now, we just got to take it game by game, week by week, and hope things get a little bit better. But that'll be all for this episode. Please be sure to follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell. Also, check out the other great pods we have off of Twitter at OTG Basketball. Include links for everything in the show notes as usual. I'll be back next week. So until then, hope you all have a good one, Heat Nation.